HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 4th, 2014. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. And as you can tell, we just finished New York City Beer Week. I lost my voice because <laughs> we had, I don't know, 10, 10 days at least of uh, great events and uh, we're all just resting up. But a lot, of, a lot of people in the studio tonight uh, participated in it. Josh Bernstein's here. He, he did a couple great events uh, for Beer Week. How are you, Josh? I'm tired. <laughs> like, like all of us right now, it was a really fun but a really draining week. And uh, Sarah and Giancarlo, who came out with a great book, uh, Beer Lovers New York. Welcome to the studio. We'll talk about your book tonight. And you guys Thanks. had a couple of events as well. And uh, we brought uh, Josh brought down uh, the guy from Bunker Brewing <laughs> in uh, Portland, Maine. How are you, Chris? Pretty good. How's it going? All right. So this show is supposed to be about New York Beer Caves, Bunker Brewing, Beer Lovers New York, and then coming up soon, Wicked Weed. And then Nico Kermitis is going to join us uh, when we talk to Wicked Weed in a little bit. So, Josh, uh, you did a couple of, of the most popular events of, of Beer Week. Oh, stop it, Jimmy. You had the Homebrew, the homebrew Jamboree. Where to have that at? At Jimmy's number 43. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, so you've been doing the, the Homebrew Tours for a long time, but you branched out a little bit, and you found the old lagering caves in Brooklyn. Um, I One thing you wrote was, Brooklyn was once a borough of blue-collar industry. We made ships. We made sweet and low, and above all, we made beer. So this, I think for most people, this captured their, their idea of what Beer Week should be and, and, and what's cool about beer in New York. So how, how did you find this old beer caves? And tell us a little bit about the background. Well, basically, I've lived in Crown Heights for, gosh, about 11 years now. And when I first moved in there, it's a young, curious journalist. I was walking around the neighborhood, and I was like, what is that giant brick building over there? And then I talked to the owners of it, and it turned out that it was an old ice house for a brewery that existed in the uh, 1860s until about 1914. And the owners of the ice house and the adjoining brewery on the neighboring block, they're in the process of turning the uh, old brewery into, or the old ice house into um, these beautiful, you know, green focused lofts with like, you know, vegetables on the roof, you know, radiant floor heating and just this amazing project. So I wrote a story about them and that was kind of it. 
And every once in a while, every two or three years, I'd run to them in the neighborhood and I'd be like, hey, guys, and I'd be like, hey. And so one thing led to the next, and over time, they started working on the brewery. And with the brewery itself, they turned it into a – I mean, over time, they did everything in there from make lockers to uh, use as storage facilities. So it had still retained sort of its industrial – industrial feel but what ended up happening was it just kind of like a lot of things in brooklyn industry-wise just fell into disrepair so they turned a couple over a number of years turned this um space into kind of small batch manufacturing where architects uh people that make kale chips import glass and just everything you could think of and then they always had these lagering caves but to get down there you basically had to shimmy down a rope it wasn't really safe to get down and you know it was a sort of white whale for them like how would they actually do something with it but then Finally, they turned their attention to uh, opening up sort of entranceways to the caves. They installed two sets of stairs, like these really windy spiral staircases where they're just kind of like almost vertigo-inducing. You just wind, 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 taking you 30 feet underground. And they installed an elevator. So this space that was sort of inaccessible was finally accessible. And I'd run into, um, gosh, Susan and Benton. I'd run into Benton. Let's see, maybe about two days before my wife had given birth, we were walking down Bergen Street, then Benton, who's the owner, with his wife, Susan, they bumped into me. They're like, hey, Josh. And I was like, hey. I'm like, here's my giantly pregnant wife and my dog and my groceries. And they're like, come on, see the log green caves. And it was sort of one of those things where it was so cool that you couldn't help but want to drag your eight-and-a-half-month pregnant wife all the way down <laughs> underground. So we did, and then it was just this. And that's where she gave birth. That's where she gave birth. <laughs> The beer that made the baby born in the uh, born in the Lagrin caves as well, but no. Uh, so it was at this point where I thought to myself, like, what could we do with this? And I've been running events in New York for gosh, probably like five years now, and this just presented this great opportunity to uh, tie into Brooklyn's past where we made beer, and just this beautiful slice of history. And why do an, an event? I don't want to just be an event where you drink. I mean, drinking is really easy, but I want people to drink and think at the same time. So by having this event in the lagering caves, you could actually tie into Brooklyn's past. And then also, you know, lagers as a beer style tend to be so, you know, there's still such a four-letter word for most people that they don't really respect lagers in a way. And I want to show people the breadth and scope of what's possible with lager beer. So I called in uh, Kelso, Single Cat, Brooklyn Brewery, the folks at Bitter Nesters, a home brewer, uh, gosh, Two Roads Brewing and Crescent from Bunker, like, Everyone made lagers, everything from Doppelbox, like goose soured lagers, like really nice hoppy lagers as well. And then we turned it into like a, like a weird little underground lager tasting. Wow. Now, Crescent, you came down from Portland, Maine for, for Beer Week. Tell us, what, what, what did it feel like being in that old lagering cave? Um, it was probably one of the most amazing beer events that I've ever, I mean, we've been open for two years. And I literally, Josh posted something on Instagram that said, like a, with a picture that said, you know, I found the lagering caves and I literally commented, bring Bunker Brewing down because I want to pour <laughs> in those caves. So I, I, the thing that Josh said during the tour that really like, you know, just hit home was that we were the first people hanging out down there in maybe 100 years besides mm-hmm. like workers. And that's, I mean, I'm a, I own and run a brewery. So to be hanging out in a 150 year old cave where, where yeah. the brewers used to work was kind of amazing yeah and it wasn't just some fly-by-night tiny brewery i mean this brewery i mean it's got a really fun story too where you know it started off in the 1860s and the owner of it went out to uh the budweiss region or budweiss and he was like oh i want to call my brewery budweiser 
And so we did, and they got sued by Anheuser-Busch. They became the Nassau Brewery, but they were such a big brewery, they were pumping out about 90,000 barrels a year, and they're distributed all the way up to Boston and New England. So they weren't just some little tiny lager producer. They were, I mean, I think the 10th biggest um, brewery in Brooklyn at one point. So they were a pretty huge deal, and they just kind of, um, you know, before World War One. Before Prohibition, they just kind of like petered away. And the building, I mean, for the last century, no one's really touched it for anything related to beer. I mean, literally, it closed down in 1914, and so we didn't go down then until 2014. That's a century. And so I think for a lot of people that went down there, it just um, made them feel this sort of, um, you know, this really distinct connection in New York City beer and Brooklyn beer. And just um, it wasn't just another event where you walk around a circle and you get really drunk and, you know, you woohoo a lot. I mean, people were down there having a great time talking to the owners. I wanted to learn more about the history there. And that's really, I think, um, you know, that's why I think people really enjoyed the event, that it wasn't just another, uh, another drunkathon. And so it made people think a lot more about that. And that's what I really liked about it. It was a pain in the butt, though, to make it happen. <laughs> there was nothing down there, no infrastructure, nothing. We had to bring down anything that was down there. We had they had to, the drains, though. That was yeah, key. They had drains, <laughs> and so we did not have to trudge up any of the old ice or anything like that. So we could just dump out the ice. So the, the original drains from the old cave. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they were original drains, but they had they had the old ice chutes down there. And yeah. The ice chutes, and they had like dra- like little tiny um. On the brick floors, they had almost like little tiny rivers that would re- lead down to a drain. And, uh, I mean, it was really one of the more, yeah, the better events I've done, I hope. Uh, Nico Camitas <laughs> just came in, too. Uh, Nico, were you, were you at the cave tour? Uh, no, I actually wasn't, but um, similar to uh, what the fellow from Bunker said, uh, I saw the picture from Josh's Instagram and was like, wow. I, I contacted him right away and was like, I need to write an article on this. And... Uh, yeah, I had a question, actually. Are, are there any plans uh, from the owners to rent out space to any local breweries to do any cave aging? Uh, yeah, it's actually a pretty good story about that. They basically have turned part of it into um, the lagering tunnels into something they're calling Crown Finish, which is going to be a cheese aging facility. So they're in the process of aging cheese right now, and it should be released in March, I'd say. And, you know, I mean, down there with all the brewers from, you know, Brooklyn, Kelso, I mean, everyone down there was just imagining the possibility of what they could do with it. I mean, nothing is concrete now, but, I mean, I would not be surprised if brewers, after seeing this space, seeing the potential and just seeing how you can really tie into history and make it just something that really, that speaks. I mean, we all talk about, like, the Brooklyn artists and whatnot, handlebar mustache or something. I mean, a lot of that's, like, manufactured idea of what Brooklyn is, but this is truly authentic Brooklyn. I mean, this is really blue collar. This is what the borough is all about. All right, and as talking about history of of beer in New York, I mean it's pretty it goes pretty deep. I mean we forget there was like what from about eighteen forty to early nineteen hundreds it was just like the heyday in, in New York, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean I think uh, you know like everything else, beer in New York City tended to die out after uh, you know the German kind of the German pushback in World War One, World War Two, Prohibition, all those things kind of conspired to knock it down. But I mean I think as you know, don't quote me on this, but I think it was as the 1960s we were producing something like 10% of the beer in America still with like Schaefer, Rheingold, all that stuff. And now Schaefer's a giant glossy loft on the water. And I think Rheingold's a bunch of like a, like a housing project or a bunch of apartments now. And so it's just, you know, it's all gone pretty much. And so a lot of these tunnels have been, um, I wouldn't be surprised if more of these tunnels are lurking out there. I know there's one in the old Hittleman Brewery in Bushwick that you can get to. I went down there, but, I mean, it's literally you have to shimmy down a rope like your Indiana Jones, and you got to turn your back like 45 degrees and walk down under there. And basically, not the thing you want to be leading 65 people. We had a nice vertigo-inducing staircase, which is much <laughs> safer. All right. Well, Sarah and John Carlo, you guys talk about New York beer. Your book is Beer Lovers New York. 
tell us a little bit how you got involved in that project because I know you, you did a lot of things during Beer Week as well. Yeah, so um, last April it was, um, the publishing company who we work with, Globe Pequot Press, just emailed us and asked us to write this book. It's um, one in a series of, it's a beer lover series, so it's they've done a few states, and we traveled around for four months, and we tried out um, a bunch of beers, and we visited a lot of breweries and brew pubs, and we really kind of discovered this, I mean, being from New York City and living in New York City, we kind of have this awful worldview that New York City is the center of everything and you don't need to leave to do anything. <laughs> but we found all this really amazing beer um, in little pockets of the state that, I mean, just stays locally. Do you think New Yorkers are going to be able to use this guide to go up there? Do you think New Yorkers are curious enough to want to leave the city? Or, I mean, are a lot of these off mass, mass transit for folks or would they have to kind of run a car to get there? Most you'd have to run a car. I really hope we can inspire people to visit the rest of New York State because, I mean, even us, we didn't think, like, if we're going to go on vacation, we'll go to the Finger Lakes or the Adirondacks. But totally now, after seeing um, what's there, we, we absolutely would. Was there any one brewery that really surprised you? Maybe the beer they made or the location it was in or maybe the setting? Um, I would say Newburgh surprised us. Uh-huh. Um, we had had a day of, of traveling around, and we weren't totally excited with everything. And driving through New- Newburgh, if you know anything about it, it's pretty It's got depressing. the widest main street in New York State. <laughs> and it's pretty depressing. Um, and then, And we didn't have any notions of what the brewery was actually like and it's in this huge building uh an old paper box factory um and they have these huge windows overlooking the river so it's hugging the hudson river right? yeah yeah it's right on the hudson river so it's a great experience to be there and and have a great view and delicious beer a lot of which is nice sessionable low alcohol beers in the summer and uh they also have you know full kitchen and everything so that was a fun kind of surprise after a day where we were pretty exhausted. Now it's Chris Basso from a Brooklyn Brewery, right? Right. He was at Brooklyn Brewery for, I think, seven years before mm-hmm. heading up uh, and starting um, Newburgh three years ago with uh, Paul Halaiko. <laughs> Paul H. Yeah. yeah. We know him as Paul H. And Charlie Benedetti. <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun with those guys in Newburgh. Now, did um, you, I was going to ask one more thing. Did you find there was a lot of people that had started off at bigger breweries and gone off kind of like seeds in the wind to open up breweries in other cities? I, I would say there's more home brewers out uh-huh. there who are going pro, um, but there are brewers like Chris Basso and um, Dan from Rushing Duck used to work mm-hmm. at Weyerbacher. Um There's more of that out there than I think we expected and of originally. Course, Craig and Evan at mm-hmm. uh, Barrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just a really right. great example of working at a brewery for so long and then going to start their own. So, Sarah, you guys have uh, your book tours just starting, right? Yeah, so we kind of um, <coughs> informally kicked it off during Beer Week with a few events, but now this weekend we're going to be visiting mm-hmm. Long Ireland Brewery in Riverhead, New York, and then next weekend Single Cut Beer Smiths and Newburgh on March 29th. Uh, March 22nd. March 22nd, first single cut, sorry. And then um, on the 29th, we're going to Newburgh and, you know, trying to schedule a bunch of dates after that. I would say wear comfortable shoes. You're yeah. standing all of concrete and drinking yeah. all the beer and smiling an <laughs> awful lot. I know. We had a little bit of that this week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Nico. I had a question. Um, do you find any similarities between New York and Portland, Maine right now uh, as far as, you know, craft um, beer booming? Yeah, I mean, the beer scenes, given that we're about, you know, 70,000 people, um, we, I think we're like fourth right now in per capita for breweries. Um, 
behind like you know Portland, Oregon, probably San Diego County. Um, but yeah, I think just from what I've seen, I mean, that's why I wanted to do the event with Josh too. Is that um, you know I got to pour beer with Brooklyn Brewery, which you know being a home brewer for ten years before I started a brewery. You you know you read the books that those guys write and you see what what they did wrong and what they did right um, when they were just starting because they literally were delivering their beer out of the back of a truck just like I do right now. So, um, yeah. What was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> Are there any similarities between New York and and uh, yeah? Oh yeah. The, I mean, in terms of the community, that's what down the caves. It was like oh, all these people. It was exactly the same as the end of Portland Beer Week, where everyone's, you know, can't believe they're still drinking beer. And at 1 p.m. again. Yeah, at 1 p.m. <laughs> again, and they don't even know if they want to be drinking beer. But it, the, just that sense of, like, com- camaraderie and community, I could really feel that. I mean, literally, I feel like the the, the community in, in Portland um, is kind of like my weird second family. And I think there's a lot of, like, overlap between the Brooklyn. Uh, there's a connection between Brooklyn and Portland. Like, your next-door neighbor is yeah. just work at Blue Bottle at yeah. Tandem. And then um, Ian McConnell from Six Point opened up uh, Bandit Horn yeah. in Biddeford. And uh, you find a lot. And uh, Dan from Brooklyn Brewery now works for uh, Baxter. So right. there's just a lot of this sort of um, connection back and forth. I mean, it's a really easy drive. It's, like, six hours. I mean, my wife and I got married there, so we, of course, love it and tout it. It scares me a little bit because I do see all the New York plates pulling into the tandem parking lot. Oh. And I'm like, here, they're coming. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're buying up the whole peninsula. We're not mass holes. <laughs> I know, that's true. That's true. Is, that, is Maine a peninsula? Yeah, Maine is a peninsula. Wow. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, Portland is a peninsula. Like Portland a, is, yeah. Portland's Portland. a peninsula, so there's only some, like, like you there's can't no make way. any more Manhattan, you can't make any more Portland. Right. But, um, huh. yeah, it's a great place to brew beer. Are you, uh, you know, because I know you poured at Josh's event, are you lager-focused as far as the brewery goes? or um, We make we make ales and lagers. I pretty much always have an ale yeast strain going and uh, and our lager yeast strain going. Our flat first flagship um, is called Machine Czech Pills. Um, so it's a Czech-style Pilsner. And I, me and Josh always talk about how, you know, it's kind of like the original Pilsner that kind of got a bad rap when everyone was going anti-macro lagers. So it's, I don't know, that it, it kind of distinguished itself in my beer portfolio and ended up becoming our flagship kind of of its own accord because not a lot of people are making them. Yeah, i said the other fun fact about Bunker is that you guys got your start with uh, Main Beer's um, old one-barrel system? Yeah, we bought Main Beer Company's one-barrel, three 55-gallon Blickman kettles off of Dan and Dave from Main Beer Company when they expanded to a 15-barrel brew house. And then another good part of that story is, like, four months ago... Dave actually came and they bought the original system back off of me for the archives. So did you make a profit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> off of Main Beer Perfect. Company? I hope so. <laughs> this is a good start to the show. We're getting to know each other. Uh, we're going to have Wicked Weed calling in from North Carolina on the, on the second segment. And we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Like like 
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com, a comprehensive website aimed at bringing the beer community together. We have a great audience here in the studio tonight. Josh Bernstein, Sarah and Giancarlo from Beer Lovers New York, Creston from Bunker Brewing, Nico Kremitis, and, and uh, soon be, will be joining us uh, Wicked Weed from uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, so uh, are you guys on from Wicked Weed? You're not on yet. Okay, cool. No. All right. <laughs> what should we talk about? So we're talking about some cool stuff. I mean, I like this New York, this Portland stuff. We got nothing else for you. We're talking about that. Let's <laughs> <We're laughs> talk about Crescent. So Crescent, now you're on. So first, we got this new small brewery up up in uh, Portland, Maine. Um, I think the fun the fun part of the story, I think, is going to be like where are you located, Crescent? Tell us about like the location and like how. Portland's kind of been reclaiming their land to make it for something else. Okay, yeah, um, I'm in this like I don't know what up and coming neighborhood of Portland, Maine, <laughs> um, former junkyard. Yeah, <laughs> basically, basically it's a former like uh, scrapyard. That uh, I have a I have like a 1,200 square foot brick building that's standalone. And who Josh was talking about earlier, Tandem, um, a coffee roasters that used to work at Blue Bottle down here in New York. They actually opened the Brooklyn Blue Bottle. Um, yeah, there's these two brick buildings that are um, were the old. One, one was the office where the coffee shop is, and mine was actually the garage. So the the landlords, you know, they, they started the scrapyard back in the 30s and built these buildings, and the they, they never knocked them down, even though the whole plot of land is, I think it's for sale for probably like $4 million, the wasteland behind our brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they held on to the buildings, and then they always wanted to see something go into them that, you know, that they they thought would like bring people down in the neighborhood and now I moved in there and then Tanda moved in next door. We also have another um <clears throat> another brewery that moved in around the corner called Rising Tide. Yeah. So um it's kind and then of then the uh the Urban Farm Fermentary. Yeah, and we also have the Urban Farm Fermentary, and they're doing kombucha and ciders. Um, and we have, they're now doing the, they opened up an old uh, cab stand um, and redid it all inside. And now they're having like the Winter's Farmer's Market down there. So, And then there's actually a distillery, um, a craft distillery right around the corner called Main Craft. So there's this whole like production hub. I mean, I call it like the beverage district. It's, you know, you can walk around the corner and get someone's, someone's vodka someone's like crazy double ipa that that so they boring. made so how did you get into that you started as a home brewer right? uh yeah i started as a home brewer um i was home brewing probably for about 10 years and then i was living out in chicago and me and a me and a buddy had a little underground brewery and we gave it a name bunker um we were you know selling our be- we, were, we were just brewing once a week 15 gallons and selling at gallery openings we had a bunch of friends that owned galleries selling it at parties all over Chicago and um, then I moved back to Maine in 2009 and uh, met my partner Jay who owns a few restaurants up there and we just started talking about opening a brewery and we he 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 didn't want to keep the name but then we literally found the bunker the the building we found it was very serendipitous we had the tattoo already so you kind of had to yeah, have, have, have the tattoo lo- yeah the lo- <laughs> we already had the logo <laughs> we had the logo tattooed on him yes. so it was like god damn it we got to call this bunker no matter what right. but i yeah i was a home brewer no no professional ex- but that's the other thing about the main brewing scene too is that everyone's really open and you know you can go it's kind of like being a brewer you can go anywhere pretty much in the world and when you say you're a brewer if you're at a brewery i was out in portland oregon last year and i i was at double mountain and um in hood river and 10 minutes later i was hanging out with the guy you know he's he's knocking out a batch of beer and he's got this huge hop back full of whole leaf like 60 pounds of whole leaf hops 
listen to a baseball game. It's like you feel that there's just mm-hmm. this com- camaraderie. But um, yeah, we got to get thing going on up there. That's cool. And and what what are some <laughs> other beers that inspired you along the way? Oh geez, I don't know. There's so many. Um, I mean, being from Maine, um, I I don't make Belgian beers, but just in terms of like. You know, Rob Todd from Allagash, he's kind of an inspiration to all of us. Um, there's there's definitely this old guard of brewers in Maine. Um, Todd Mott used to brew for Portsmouth Brewery. Now he's actually opening his own brewery in Kittery. Um, so there's, I don't know, I'm more inspired by people's path and, like, how they did it than, than, than beers in general, I'd say. I mean... Yeah, it's also pretty interesting in Portland, Maine. There's this one stretch industrial way where not a lot of Portland has enough spaces that's actually zoned to have, um, you know, you need drains, you need all this space. Not a lot of places in Portland are zoned for that. You're talking about an old port city. But um, they have, so basically all these people kept on trading the same spaces. That, like, yeah. like Rising Tide started off in the space now that I think maybe like Foundation or, or who else? Yeah, it's, uh, it was Rising Tide, Maine Beer Company, and Bull Jagger, which they don't exist anymore, unfortunately, because they were making really good lagers. But, um, and now there's three new breweries, uh, Bissell Brothers. Austin Street and Austin Foundation. Austin Street and Foundation, yeah. All in the same little thing. They keep trading the same spaces and they're as right, they grow up. They're like literally right down the street from Allagash. And also Sebago's out there and... And uh, Geary's, so some of the old the old guards out there as well. But um, yeah, it's cool that the spaces there's there's now even more breweries out there than there was three mm-hmm. years ago. All right, we got our calling guests on, uh, and we'll we'll talk to Bunker afterwards in our third segment. Uh, right now, we've got uh, Luke and Walt on the on the phone from Wicked Weed Brewing. How are you guys? We talked to you a little bit last year. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're we're good. At least uh sounds like the connection's a little better this time. Sorry about that last time. No worries. We got Justin Kennedy with us too and uh Justin, which which beer are we drinking that they sent us? Uh <clears throat> excuse me, we're drinking their uh Serenity, uh which is a hundred percent Britannomyces fermented uh farmhouse ale. So if they could tell us a little bit about the bottle re- bottle release they did on Saturday. Yeah, so Serenity, uh that was our, our first bottle release, which uh was was really exciting for us. Um, bottling's like a, a kind of a big new adventure for our, our brewery because you know primarily we've we've just been a brew pub to this point, but we got a, a pretty robust barrel program we've been working on. And um, Serenity was uh, we decided that should be the first beer we released out of that program. It was the beer that uh, won a gold medal at GABF this year in the Brett category. And uh, yeah, had a great event. We had about. Um, you know, we were at capacity all day and had had about three, four hundred people in line to kind of kick off the event to buy bottles, and um, you know, just a kind of a, a a little bit of you know one of those moments you always hope for in brewing that you, you'd finally be able to put your product in a bottle, and uh, couldn't really have imagined it being any better. How many uh, how many barrels do you guys have right now? So uh, we have um, well. Are you talking about wood barrels, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the uh, barrel uh, aging program, yeah. Yeah, so we, we have a pretty robust... This is Luke, by the way. That was Walt. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, we're brothers, so we probably sound the same. But, um, yeah, we um, we have a pretty robust barrel aging program. We, we have currently uh, just under 400 wine and bourbon barrels uh, in, our, uh, in our... It's an off-site barrel storage. Uh, it's a HVAC system, you know, temperature controlled building. 
that we're, we thought would last us when we got into it. We were like, well, this is going to last forever. And uh, here we are about a year into it, and we're, we're starting to look for another space because we're uh, bursting out the seams. So tons and tons of wood, if you will. So what do you think the secret to your success is? I mean, you guys came into a crowded market, carved out a niche. So how do you think like, you guys did it, or what was the secret to your success in Nashville? Well, I think we filled we filled kind of a void maybe in the market a little bit in that um, you know Asheville was really kind of perceived as this craft beer town, um, and you know our goal, uh, Luke and I, you know we kind of come from the home brewing background, and we wanted to open a brewery that was basically embraced our our two kind of visions of what beer is together, and then you know did it in a way that would be exciting for the consumer. I think we brewed um, like 104 different beers last year. We brew everything from Saison to double IPAs to, you know, tons of barrel-aged stuff. And we use a lot of interesting ingredients in our beer. Um, and we do it in, like, a really high-volume pub, so we're able to keep a lot of stuff on tap. I think right now we've got about 27 beers on tap at the downstairs bar, and then we have about 17 upstairs. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the model we decided to settle in with and was to really focus on producing those really dry, hot-forward West Coast-style beers that, you know, exist definitely in the southeast but are maybe a little bit less prevalent. And then, uh, you know, sour beers are, and, and Brett beers are something that we both really enjoyed and, and something I'm kind of obsessed with. And um, so that was like a component that, you know, we wanted to incorporate it as well, really just trying to create that, that thing that we all love about going into a new brewery, right? You go into the brewery and you see all these new beers you've never had and your unique things that are, you know, only at that brewery when you go visit it in their tasting room. And we wanted to give that kind of experience every time somebody walks in the door. So, you know, we put between, uh, you know, one to one to three <laughs> beers a week on. And, and I think that keeps people pretty well entertained. I mean, the, the attention span of everybody these days mm-hmm. is pretty short. So try to just keep them focused. So you guys must be pretty excited about your new Belgium collaboration, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, that was a lot of fun. So we... Um, last September, uh, we were out there actually right at my brother's, um, for my brother's birthday. Uh, we, that was a fun evening. That took at least a year off my life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much guaranteed. But, uh, the new Belgian people know how to party, that's for sure. But they, um, especially Lauren, watch out for her. Can we, yeah. can we quote you on that? <laughs> yeah, right, you can. I think that's fine. Um, but we, uh, we, we got together with New Belgium and, you know, New Belgium is opening a new facility in Asheville, North Carolina, where we are. Um, so we've kind of fostered a relationship together through that, uh, through their their people coming to Asheville, and they always seem to end up at our pub, and we end up having a good time together. But uh, when we went to go brew a beer together, we wanted something that was representative of them and us, um, and we they have a, a huge, huge sour program. Probably, I mean, probably the biggest in the country. Uh, Walt's nodding. Yes, it is. So, uh, <laughs> they have a food or uh, forest, I think. So. You know, so <laughs> it's one of those things that we, we thought that for sure it would be, uh, we would go for a sour beer or a Brett beer. Um, and the other thing that we both loved were IPAs. So we thought, well, why not let's do a Brett IPA? Um, and as we got playing with these ideas, we, we got playing with the idea of ancestry, um, you know, and looking to sort of uh, ingredients as, uh, as generational. So we took, uh, we took some of 
what we would consider an older wild yeast, the Britannomyces, and paired it with uh, an early fermentation of what's very prevalent today, the California ale yeast. Um, and so it was first fermented with California ale and then, and then uh, packaged with Britannomyces. Um, and then uh, we took some uh, grains as well. So we, we looked at grains in the same light, uh, and we looked at spelt as one of the older grains that, that is around. Uh, and what, what would be a newer grain would be wheat um, compared to spelt, that is. And then hops, we used a brand-new exper experimental hop and then the sort of ancestry hops that made that hop. Um, so it turned out to be this really cool concept, and the beer came out phenomenal, and now it's been uh, six months old, uh, sitting with the Brett there and just developing in flavor. So uh, we're excited to tap it actually this weekend, this Saturday. Nice, so. congrats. The question, you know, like as people have kind of cycled through different uh, different kinds of hops, different kinds of barrels, I really think grains are sort of the next frontier. I've seen a lot of people using spelt. Do you see grains as being like the next tool for a lot of brewers' arsenal to really separate themselves from the pack? Or like people are using spelt, they're using fife. I mean, people are, of course, going crazy for oats and heirloom rye. So how do you see grain as playing a role in the future of, uh, of changing the way people think about beer? I think grain is, is uh, just another component we have to develop a flavor profile as a brewery or as a brewer. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's some truth to what you're saying, but I think it's all kind of this one progressive movement of craft beer. I mean, right now we're all looking for what's that new hop we can play with to kind of differentiate our product or expand what we see as, as, the, as the final product. Or, you know, can we put it in a barrel? Can we put it in a gin barrel? Can we put it in a bourbon barrel? Can we, you know, we're playing with, with barrels and hops. And, and grain's absolutely another one. And I do think that, you know, spelt oats, golden naked oats, rye, all those things are great. You know, we have a great um, local malt house here in North Carolina that's growing, uh, you know, like a weed right now called uh, Riverbend Malt. And they actually just released a, a beer, uh, a rye IPA with New Belgium that I think is a national release um, with, with their, their uh, you know, it's a, again, these are all heirloom grains that are grown in North Carolina, um, and then they're malted here using traditional floor malting. I think that's the kind of stuff we're going to see more of, of people going back to uh, knowing where their ingredients are coming from, using the highest quality ingredients. And then because people in the craft beer scene are excited about trying something new all the time, they're giving us the license to push ourselves to try new grains out, to try new hops out, to try new techniques out, to make unique beers. And, and I think that's just the cool thing about, you know, craft beer right now and why the American craft beer movement is leading the world in, you know, progressing uh, the, the art. Well, I would say to that point um, is that as craft beer grows, uh, these maltsters actually are starting to care about what we're doing. Um, you know, so, I mean, you go back 15 years, and, and it was hard for brewers to get a maltster to to care about about what they were putting in their beer because it was such a small amount. Um, so, like, for us, we just got a visit from Peter Simpson, who is uh, one of the, you know, he's a Simpson of Simpson's Malts. Uh, so and he came to our brew pub and sat down with us and tasted through all of his grain and these grains have been around for a long time uh, it's just that we're now almost finally getting the opportunity to taste them as brewers because these maltsters are putting them in front of us and and they're you know we have the we have the palates that are sitting there saying why didn't I know about this before so um, I think that's part of it too for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you guys are awesome. Thanks for calling in again. And again, what what was the beer we drank? Serenity. But I know that you guys... Sitting in front of you, Jimmy. Well, I know, but everyone <laughs> told me about it. But you guys had a, You beat out Russian River and Crooked Stave, you know, other other Brett sour, sour beer makers. And uh, that's pretty cool because everyone's going nuts for Crooked Stave right now in New York. You know, um, we got a couple cases in a week and people just want it. Russian River, too. Well, Chad so, is, is one of the best, you know, he's one of the, the foremost... Uh, Intellectual brewers on uh, on Britannomyces, and you know, a lot of those guys are just great brewers. We were just so like just blown away and honored to even be considered in the final tasting with those guys, let alone to, to medal in the same category as them. It was just such a huge honor for us. And, and again, those are the guys we look up to. You know, yeah. so it, it was hey, really, if, really cool. If you guys want to ha- stay on, we're, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about grains in New York and stuff like that. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. So, you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're, everyone's laughing, but we're out here at uh, Roberta's in Bushwick. Because we don't have our pants on. <laughs> We've got, you know, some of us are sick, some of us are naked. But um, I'm naked. Naked, Nico's naked. So, uh, Josh, what were you saying about there's, there's a big deal going on with uh, Wicked Weed in New Belgium? Uh, no, you're, just, you're making me say it, Jimmy, because you forgot what I told you on there. <laughs> no, I just said it's a big deal, you know, for... The great thing about collaborations with beer is just that you collaborate with a bigger brewery, and then you get to really showcase your beer through the distribution network. So your beer, you would maybe not have the advertising budget to, say, put your beer all across the country or even take an ad campaign out there. I mean, so collaboration really works in such a great way to help out help out great smaller breweries that a lot of people may not typically be exposed to. It gives them a chance to buy it, not have to wait in line for like, you know, 400 people to get a bottle, they can go out to their local, you know, liquor store and get a bottle of a uh, new Belgian Wicked Weed beer. Hey, Luke or Walt, um, so where did you make the collaboration beer with New Belgium? At their brewery or your brewery? Well, at their brewery, it was, uh, you know, those guys, they have a little bit of money. So they, they were quite generous and uh, flew us out there and put us up in this awesome little hotel. And, uh, yeah, man, we brewed, we brewed the beer on their system, and then they're actually going to come out, uh, I think, we're talking about this May during Asheville Beer Week, and we're going to brew uh, another beer on our system that'll just be released in Asheville. And you know, obviously, uh, we're a little bit smaller brewery, but it still, still should be a, a good time. Oh, cool. Well, stay on the air with us. We're talking about New York beers too. Um, uh, Josh, you brought a couple great beers in, including this Russian Duck. 
Oh, we, that we was that. Oh, you guys brought that. Yeah. Sorry, I did not. John Carla. <laughs> they they're in Hudson Valley too, right? Yeah, yeah they're they in are. Chester, New York. Yeah, right by Woodbury Commons. So with yeah. with your beer lovers, New York book. What well, can you buy in Woodbury Commons? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> Shopping, but this Russian duck is great. Wh- which which beer is this? This, this is, is dogs bollocks. Which mm. uh, is a English style old ale, and. Uh, I think it was their first they, bottle. Uh, it was one of their first bottled yeah. beers. Most of their beers are draft only. And, um, yeah, this is the first batch that they did of Dog's Box. And uh, 25% of it, I believe, is, is uh, barrel-aged, and mm-hmm. 75% is not. Um, so they blended it. And, um, you know, I think there's a – obviously there's a thing in, in craft beer for limited-release bottles. Um and New York is getting a lot more of that. Um, you know, Russian Ducks doing it. You know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Brewery does it. So you know, New York is kind of uh, getting there with with their own kind of more creative, out there beers um, that aren't just kind of what brewers may may do on a regular basis. Like really breaking out of the box. Oh, that's great! And you got to visit a lot of really great breweries too. Mm-hmm. Last week, Nico at. Uh, and one of the events of Beer Week is New York City Brewers Choice that we just did our fourth year and, and you came to that. And this year there was a, a New York Grains focus. Yeah, yeah. Actually I did an article on that for uh, Edible Brooklyn and I believe that thirty I think thirty breweries or uh, made special beers with New York source grains. Close to that, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think uh, six thousand pounds of grains from from New York alone, and all of them were uh, malted by Valley Malt in Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, it was great to see it. It's always good to have a story behind what you're drinking. Well, that was great. That's why it was nice hearing from Wicked Weed that, that they're making uh, special batches of beer with uh, North Carolina grains, and, and I think that's the new trend. And you're right, Josh. I mean, what do you say? Grains are the what? Grains are the mains. We can we can make a fun catchphrase <laughs> now. Grains are the. Uh, now I was saying blame it on the grain. It was blame on the grain. <laughs> well, I was saying a milli vanilla reference, but I just meant we could say grains are the new hops. A lot Done. Of, there a we lot go. We're gonna I, I do feel that, and I feel like even talking about whether it's Czech style, there, there's some uh, beers that we're getting that are, I call them pre-communism era. Czech beers where they're like six percent. Well, they're like six percent lagers. Have you had the Conrad? And they're six percent lagers that have a nice malt malt forward profile. So what happened in oh. communism? They were like, no more fun. Shut down all the fun breweries. Yeah, shut down all the fun. We um, hate grains. Yeah. New York, I think. Yet on uh, grains. We're getting uh, brew the grain and malting is just starting to catch up. A lot of brewers, especially with the farm brewery license, were expressing a frustration. That they couldn't get New York grown grains. I think um, it'll, be, it'll be a while. Before. And so the same you know, thing's happening still, in the Maine too. Yeah, there's still a lot of um, demand for it. Yeah. And so the more people brew beers with lots of New York State ingredients and grains, hopefully the more the infrastructure will grow up around it to support them. Mm-hmm. Same thing in Maine. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's a it's the whole thing where you know it starts with it starts with the brewers. And then people are figuring out, like, oh, light bulb, I, like, start a malt house because, I don't know, I've, I've had people come through that have the idea of start, starting a malt house up in Maine. And, and I'm like, I will, if it's good, I'll, I, everyone's going to buy you out of, you know, you won't be able to make them enough. It's just about having that. Especially with a malt house, you're looking at a pretty sizable capital investment. Yeah. yeah. It's and not We don't have one easy. of those yet. Right. And like you said, all that New York grain had to go to Massachusetts yeah. to get yeah. malted. There's, there's I get, no I get grain that's house. grown up in up in uh, Rista County, up north in Maine, but then it's actually sent to Canada 
to get malted, and then it's sent to New York, upstate New York, when that's where it gets distributed out of. Huh. So it's this crazy chain. And even Valley Malt can't get enough grain in Massachusetts. That's why they're getting Maine grain and New York grain. Yeah, I mean, there's really just not enough agricultural product being produced on a small scale right, right now to actually feed demand. And so, you know, you can make it like a small batch or brewer's choice event, but if you're going to say, I'm going to make this my year-round like IPA made with like New York-grown wheat, you you, you like malt it at a small malt house. You just can't do it. Do you see that as uh, a future problem now that breweries are kind of switching over to farm breweries or new breweries are opening where they have to kind of use New York ingredients? I think there's a certain percentage, right? Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's I think right now, 14 <coughs> farm breweries in New York or there, there are more, more than now, 14. And, I mean, they have to use 20% um, New York ingredients besides water by weight at this point. And, and like five years it's going up to 60 I, I think right now yeah. it's, a, it's a grace period yeah. Yeah. I think they're, they're, pu- they're, they, they're promoting that people should, should should take that license as as the future right. and right. as like, even three years ago the, the, uh, they couldn't have done the Brewer's Choice all grain event because right. you know three years ago there, there really wasn't hardly anyone growing the right grains in New York that the, the, the brewers are maintaining multiple licenses. Right, because the farm brewery license allows them to sell pints, but only of the beer that's 20% yeah. local ingredients. So, I mean, they have to, if they're going right. to keep I, this I license. Think, I think the whole thing's going to catch up, and we've had a lot of people on about that. Let's talk about that on another show, because that's getting a little deep. But <laughs> the point is, is that, what, but, but, um, but Creston is right. What he's saying is that. <laughs> blame it on the grain. I'm not blaming blame it on the grain. The grain Creston is saying that the brewers do drive it, and I think that the more. <laughs> the more breweries that are that are that are open to using you know local grains, you'll see some people putting in capital and doing and making malt facilities. And uh, yeah, also, also the, support, the states will support the their farmers. Too. Also, the other thing right now in Maine that we're running into is there's all these hop farmers that are starting, but with hops it takes three four years before you have a sizable amount. Like all the hops, pretty much that are grown in Maine right now. Like I make a I make a green mine, which is a wet hopped pale. You know, I maybe maybe make two batches of it. A year, and you're talking like a three barrel batch, right? Seven barrel, seven, yeah, yeah. seven barrel. Yeah. So yeah. I make fourteen barrels, and then you know those are pretty much all of the wet hops I can get because it just takes so long to catch up. And then the other, the other problem we're running into is the um, you need a hop harvester if you're operating any sizable hop farm. You need a hop harvester, and so we just need like more investment into grain, into into hops, into that because now they're realizing it. So, Crescent, just on a side note about grains. <clears throat> what local grains have you tried, and what would you encourage farmers to grow that would be interesting for you as a brewer? I've tried. I mean, honestly, the bottom line is um, places that are doing really small, like boutique malting, their grains about twice as much as when you're getting it from a big distributor. So it you know it makes sense for small batches. I, I've used I've used a lot of the rye from Valley Mall, and I mean I always love that and love supporting those guys. It's not something that I we do regularly just because you know we can't we can't really hit our numbers if we're yeah. making a constant. But if you're doing if you're doing we've, we've talked a lot about grains the last couple of weeks. That's what I'm talking about. But if if you're doing local grain, you kind of want grain that that's fits your environment, right? So like in the north, we know rye grows better. Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I love rye beers. I, I love. I mean, I use a lot of. Um, I use a lot of like flaked rye, like toasted, toasted flakes, like oats. I mean, I feel like especially things like session IPAs and stuff like that, where mm-hmm. you're they're a really light beer, but you're also putting a boatload boatload of hops in there, and you still want some sort of body, but you're you know without without the alcohol, 
things like using like flaked oats, flaked wheat, all that stuff. So you're you're basically adding some body to your beer and giving it kind of like a heftier, you know, something's there, and but it's also a session beer, so it's like three point five percent, something like that. So grain is useful. <laughs> Thank you, Creston. <laughs> so down in uh, so do we still have everyone from Wicked Weeds on the line? Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, well, you, you had to listen to us babble forever. <laughs> I Sorry, <know>. guys. <laughs> we're like, stay on the phone. Just wait for that moment. We, but, we were just we were just marveling at the wisdom. Uh, <laughs> so I was going to say, so how big is that river bend, right? So how big are they right now? How much are you able to actually use? of their grains and how much of it for, is it going to be for like a specialty batch your base batches or how do you think about them in terms of your uh, as a supplier uh well they just doubled in size so they were doing uh one ton batches now um they're, they're doing about a two ton batch um and i think they're turning like two to three uh i think their goal is once the the new kilns and everything are running they're turning two to three um in a week uh, you know, I mean, they made enough grain for New Belgium to do a big project with them. They're uh, they're going to be uh, turning out a bunch of, I think, rye again for um, this brewing across America thing that Sierra Sierra Nevada is doing, uh-huh. um, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, they're they're producing enough for these big breweries to um, make some larger production batches with. Uh, but at the same time, um, that that is basically their capacity. So every time they take one of these contracts on, uh, all us little guys are kind of. You know, just SOL for a couple weeks while they, they turn out a bunch of grain for those guys. But that said, I would say, um, you know, a good bit of the, the folks who are doing, like, farmhouse-style beers, um, you know, they, they're incorporating, uh, you know, anybody brewing Belgians uh, is really doing a pretty good job of, of incorporating some of their malt into some of the grist, which is yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, we, we have a, um, our house Saison is called Reticent Saison, and it is uh, 100% a Riverbend malt. Which is uh, our the local monster? So you know, and that's we're a fifteen barrel brew house. So for that beer, it's about uh, seven hundred and fifty pounds of malt, and uh, we brew that about once once a month. So um, that's that's our only beer that we use a hundred percent of their malt. We kind of toss their malt in here or there, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I know Full Steam down in in uh, Raleigh Durham yeah. area. They're they're using they're I think they have one or two beers that are 100% Riverbend malt so they're actually a decent sized maltster. Mm-hmm. They're they're growing real fast. They're gonna be I think in like three or four years they'll produce a lot of malt for the southeast. And again, you know he's right. Uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't catch the guy's name um, who was talking earlier. We kind of came in late on the interview, but it's Crest, it it's Creston. You know you, you pay you pay for what you get kind of thing, and it is a <laughs> unique malt. And it has a unique profile, and if somebody's looking to start a little malt house like. You know, make I agree. Make rye, make wheat. You know, make specialty malts that we mm-hmm. can. Because if, if you can't make a lot, spread it thin and yeah, let all use a little bit for flavor. Don't try to make base malt. Yeah, I was gonna say don't do ba- that don't do base malt. We have with those guys early on is right. like an unstable base malt. Yeah. All right. Are, are you guys gonna be over um, over in Denver? Oh, ACBF. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be there. Okay, let's hang out. <laughs> this is this is Creston from Bunker. Bunker Brewing if, if, in uh, if Portland. You think New Belgium oh, likes, oh, Bunker, okay. If yeah, you think cool. New Belgium likes a party, Creston likes a party too. Watch out, guys. In caves. In <laughs> caves. Lauren's coming in second. <laughs> this is a, you guys are wild. The, the wild beer guys. That's the case. I don't know if I can handle it, dude. <laughs> He's got a beard. Is that the wicked weed or what? Come on. We got to get Strumkey so out with us from You guys should know too. that I think we had we tasted the first bottle of Serenity ever, right? Were we the first people to taste it in America? <laughs> In maybe. America, yeah. Thank you. Probably uh, New York, maybe. Yeah, you New York City. Thanks for sending us the bottle. And uh, 
We we hear that you're the your North Carolina State's hottest brewery. Those are the notes I have for you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you beat Russian River yeah, and well, Crooked State, which is pretty cool good. We've got a lot of cool things good. going on, uh, that's for sure. So people are digging what we're doing. We just got to keep on, uh, you know, making delicious beer. I guess we also all work topless. I was going to say shirtless <laughs> photo shoot is going to come soon. So <laughs> all right. we'll, get, we'll get a wind machine blowing the air. Exactly. Yeah. Well, de- definitely. People say brewers have fun. After, last week, after our Brewers Choice event in New York, the the rumor was that there was n- not a batch of beer brewed in New York City because everybody had been partying. So <laughs> that's what you're up against. But listen, we're, we're going to hopefully see you guys in New York sometime soon. Thanks for calling in. We're going we're to do a quick shout out for some events coming up. Uh, we got behind an event called Liquid Lent. Remember last year there was a a blogger and he. Uh, Lived on homebrew alone for for the yeah. for forty three days back, yeah. in Lent. <laughs> yeah, so we got inspired. We're doing liquid Lent. Uh, if you come to the East Village or Lower East Side, there's Malted Mold, ABC Beer Company, Burp Castle, DBA East Village, Top Hops, Eastwood, and Jimmy's Number Forty Three. Starting tomorrow, we'll be featuring uh, Belgian and Monk style beers uh, all month, and there'll be some special events. But definitely, let's get inspired. Let's uh, drink like monks. How about that? <laughs> and in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrews.com who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Josh Crescent, John Carlos, Sarah, Nico, Walt, and Luke for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Evan DeChico. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Blame it on the grain. Blame it on the grain. <laughs> grain don't care. I like that. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.